Welcome to How Did You Manage That? A podcast where we talk to music managers about their journeys, the lows, the highs, and everything in between. I'm Ali McRae. I'm Sophie Pallock. This is a podcast all about new managers doing it right now and breaking their artists through the new school methods, be that streaming, social media, or some innovation we haven't even heard of yet, and sometimes without a label in sight. Either way, they all have a story to tell, lessons to share, and most importantly, that undeniable passion and dedication to their artist and the music they make. So a big thank you to everyone who's listened to our last episode with the wonderful Charlie Murdoch. Again, so many people reached out, in particular younger managers or even those just thinking about going into management, who said that her journey, her sort of thoughts, advice uh, really resonated with them and they were just really chuffed with the podcast. So again, thank you so much for listening, guys. It really means so much. So for this episode, Sophie and I descended on a massive music festival in the south coast of England, in Brighton, it was the great escape. And there we caught up with a manager who really has had a pretty different and incredible journey with his artist. Introducing Josh Edwards, aka, I'm doing air quotes here, Manager Josh, as he's known on Twitter to his artist's fan base. He is a manager of singer-songwriter and YouTube royalty, Dodie. Indeed. And for those who don't know, Dodie started off in the YouTube world, as many artists do today, I think you'll find Ali, and has managed to sort of beautifully merge both of those worlds while staying true to sort of her music career and all her fans. She's got a top five and a top 10 album slash EP under her belt. She's still got over 1.8 million subscribers on YouTube. I mean, that's insane. Right. So let's get into it. Recorded at a very loud conference centre in Brighton. I don't think, Sophie, we could have chosen a noisier part of the building but that's atmosphere right so here we go this is josh having a chat to myself and sophie right in the heart of the great escape festival 2019 how did you manage that is a podcast brought to you by the music managers forum aka the mmf and a we are in the jury's in brighton on the waterfront the sun is shining it's Great Escape 2019. It is a Friday. There's a few hungover people round about. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> and Sophie and I are joined by the brilliant Josh Edwards. He is a manager, famously of Dodie, who started off as a YouTube star and has now become chart-bothering UK tour sellout artist. Chart-bothering, Chart-bothering. That's my... Chart-bothering. I like that. Thank That's you. a great you. phrase. Right. I've been, I've, 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 is it the whole music industry is full of a bunch of chart-botherers? Chart-botherers. <laughs> no, I would say chart-bothering is, you know, when you're you're really there. Oh, what I see. Number three in the... It the was EP five, five. But at the same time... I would have loved for the next time to be higher than three. Ooh. Yes, that's but, good. Uh, that's good. And, and, you know, to sum up, I would say that uh, Dodie has got one of the loyalist fan armies. Yes. And that has been cultivated over a long time. Josh is also an A&R at Ministry of Sound. And uh, I am going to just say this now. I think you've probably got more followers than most of the acts that you scout. <laughs> <laughs> and some artists signed to Sony. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's quite odd because there's sort of like, when it comes to managing an artist, I thought when I first started doing it that I knew that I wanted to be a point of call for a lot of fans. But I didn't really understand that there was going to be a moment where they just stopped asking her questions and now they automatically just go directly <laughs> to me. I would much prefer it being online rather than my email because I just think that that's such a better connection. However, when there's a, when there's a Dodie show, my personal favourite is when people say set times 
uh, set list and what time does it finish so I can get the train home? And I get about, I'd say, like 200 every day when it comes right. through and I'm like, okay. Dodie has some really wonderful practical travel planning fans. Yes. They like to know what's going on. They Wanna like know. to know when they're going to be home for tea. Absolutely. Well, they need to yeah, know. Yeah, they need to know. I've got an exam tomorrow. I'm like, well, that's very unfortunate for you. I don't have an exam tomorrow, but we finish at 10.30 so you can get home safe. You're absolutely fine. And get, yeah. a, get, a nice, get a nice dinner and then yep. get up early and study. It'll be fine. Exactly. Because a lot of them do, as you said, like they're an army. They're a huge, dedicated fan base. And a lot of them do love to queue dead early. And that's one thing that I'd seen from doing it years and years of like lo loving going to gigs and stuff. And then just grew out of. But then a lot of these fans, I think there's just this new wave of fandom where it just becomes less of just dedicating to just the music live. It's all-encompassing. So mm. when they arrive and they're there queuing really early, they're playing tracks off of their phones. They're like sharing stories about how they met her or anything like that. They're also it, like just doing anything and everything. They're writing, writing letters. They're passing it on to the merch table, this sort of stuff. It's like I met X person while sitting here. It, it's amazing and incredible, but it also is... You know, it, it makes me feel like we always have to give something every single time. And you, you can't, unfortunately, you can't do like the whole, you, you just want to say thank you to every person. That's the main thing that I always feel. Oh, God. That's lovely. Like, I think yeah. it's a really, the, one of the main reasons Sophie and I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about management is because I think it's almost like, I think what's really impressive is Dodie has really worked up the way through venues yeah. as any other has any other artist has to do mm -hmm. and you know it's gone from the 400 caps to whatever else she's played yeah. around the country Barrowlands and then, and then Roundhouse and all that yeah. stuff yeah, and yeah. you've just come off the back of that tour mm -hmm. the biggest tour she's done is wicked let's take it right back to the start yeah with you specifically how did okay. you get into management I so I started working at Ministry of Sound and uh, we were an independent label at the time weren't involved with Sony whatsoever and I was brought on as being the singer-songwriter and artist of bands and all the side very much out of the dance world but because Ministry had found artists such as London Grammar and it very much was a connection there they wanted to move forward into that sort of territory and uh, the the sort of scenario that I was in was that it was either too early or it's too competitive. And I was learning, like, as an A&R, you learn where you engage and how you compete and all these different things. But I think I was so sort of naive at that point that I thought, no, I can, I want to build something from the very beginning. And uh, I actually been following Dodie for a year on YouTube. I had no connections with it whatsoever. Just as a fan. Just as a fan, just liked the tunes. And then eventually she started doing these other, like these vlo vlogs about just her talking about her personality. And I thought, she mm -hmm. seems kind of cool. I quite like her. And uh, I then um, uh, reached out to her after she posted a video. It was a Q&A video where she reached out on Twitter saying, uh, send me some questions. I'll give you them answers. One of them was someone said, when's your EP single or album coming out? And she said, I don't have an agent or a manager. I don't know the first thing about putting a record together, which is bonkers because she had 100,000 subscribers and wow. just played shows and like playing, supporting people with her and her ukulele. And there are people that would just stick around for ages and had this dedicated fan base so early on. But no one was involved and no one knew anything about her outside of the YouTube community. So I immediately was just like, hello, I, are you looking for a manager? and sent this email at like 11 o'clock at night and didn't think I'd hear anything from it. I actually started running a bath and then I got an email straight away and I thought, do I get in the bath now or do I jump into the email? Jump in the bath, jump in the email. Which one? 
both. Um, <laughs> no, it was a uh, yeah. So I messaged her and then we went for a cup of tea and I just was really honest and just said how. I don't know a lot about the YouTube world, but I know about music and enough to kind of start things off. And we're both kind of starting this journey together. I'd like to be involved. And I think that was the bit where she thought, because so many people coming up to her saying, I do YouTube management, but I don't do music management, but I know somebody that works at Songkick or Music Glue or something like that. And then, yeah, just from there on, it just kind of... So she hadn't been approached at that time by any other music managers? No. No one else. Wow. I know. That's the thing that people find quite surprising. They like now it's so competitive. Uh-huh. You find anything in any regard. Like even now, like people that are on TikTok, which is just a platform dedicated to people just miming. And if you find somebody <laughs> and they're like, Yeah, they've got like three or four people from red light and tap <laughs> and they're all trying to reach out. They, they've got a plugger they've Yeah, got they've everything. got a plugger, they're like yeah. we just think when? And it's amazing as well because there are even these social media managers like Gleam and things like that yeah. that are set up purely to manage influencers slash mm-hmm, YouTube mm-hmm. stars. So yeah. had those people approached her? Was that mainly... No, I think that they started their music division stuff like about six months later maybe. And even then it just all felt like she didn't want a YouTube manager because she kind of just wanted didn't want to be constrained with anything and the restriction of having like a manager for youtube is that they may well try and give you ideas of what you should make for your content and when you should put stuff out and contracting you to brand deals that you don't necessarily want to do for three to four months that was youtube then i think it's very much different now similar to the way that a lot of artists build their careers and you know don't sign to labels because they've realized that well i make money from streaming or from whatever however else why do i need a label to take 80 percent of my masters um but equally um spoken like a man who works for a label hello (laughs) back then it was very much like if you are building momentum online and you got management yes you're part of a crew and a team but they're not thinking about the next three, four years. And um, what she wanted to do was do music. And that's the thing that I could see, is that I could see it building live. I could see it building her as an artist. I could see it production-wise getting a lot stronger and a lot better. And just songwriting in general. I mean, just somebody who started in their bedroom doing songs on their piano and ukulele. And now it's still the same, but with a full like string section. And you know, she constantly wants to put clarinet and new songs and I'm like that's cool go ahead like I remember one of the first times I saw Dodie actually was I'm trying to track it back it must be four years ago now and it was at the Serial Killer Killer Cafe Cafe. and the artist I work with Orla Garland was putting on a night and Dodie was her friend because they're all YouTubers and she came on she's wearing like a little white dress and had a ukulele and I just remember seeing it and being like girl is amazing like yeah. what is she doing and I, I just thought she was just one of all those random friends who happened to do gig nights and, never, and then you and know then, it's become what it is yes and I just think back to that night and think god that's just amazing how, how you as a manager have worked with her to grow that from it's it's funny because that show where she was Orla's support and because Orla put on the show no I think was Dodie the headliner or something like that it was definitely that Orla put on a show Orla used to work there and and be the promoter so put on the night so she put Dodie on so I think it was her Lauren Aquilina did a show as well at one point but then because of that and because of Orla like putting on that show and Dodie didn't have an agent or a promoter or anybody on board no one would listen to me they'd say Who's this guy that, like, yes, he's A&R at Ministry, but he's managing this ukulele-wielding singer-songwriter that's got <laughs> hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. Yeah. What is that? And uh, and then, so I approached all around the guys that run the Serial Killer Cafe and said, can we just put on a night 
and see what happens and put tickets on sale and they sold out immediately yeah, it was packed yeah and then packed. well we put on four more and then <laughs> <laughs> so that ended up being about 500 tickets over the course of wow. five days and wow. that was when i started getting emails saying what's what's this about what's this you're working on yeah, yeah. exactly what's this and then back when spotify was uh hang on i'm getting ahead of myself i'm now getting proper ahead of myself yeah. but when spotify with uh, the viral chart that a lot of ars focused on the viral chart yeah. was when we just put out our first produced song sick of losing soulmates that went straight to number one in the viral chart and that was the proper moment of even to the point where and i don't mind sharing this story because i think it's quite funny but david dollymore uh president of ministry put everybody on copy and just said what's this dody and uh yeah just yeah just emailed back just saying like <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, i managed this i've mentioned it but but it's all right let's I have a chat up. yeah exactly slightly weird satisfaction as well that you it's, decided to look yeah. after something that maybe yeah. the labels were a bit like nah, and then suddenly it came full circle and you could be like <laughs> Yoo-hoo, yeah, exactly. Over here. But so catharsis when you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We everyone are here. loves being right, especially yeah. in the music industry. Yeah, we are at the Great Escape, a place where over many a pint at two in the morning, people go, "Yeah, I was on Billy Eilish, but my boss just didn't see I it." Just and didn't. You're like, see- I know. It must be littered with those. I've heard a fantastic story about uh, somebody who w- wanted to sign the Killers mm-hmm. and their boss, and no names just refused and just said that's never going to happen so going from that first night I was about to say going from that first night in the bath but that's taken the whole <laughs> wrong way but from that it first was a wicked email, bath it was great yeah, bath. bath bomb best bath of my life yeah exactly <laughs> um, you had that obviously background as a fan essentially yeah for a year which I yeah, think yeah. is a really authentic bit about this story thank you and then obviously you've come from that different direction that for some reason bloody music industry nobody else had picked up on this massive yeah. opportunity and then um, what, what happened from then? You know, did Dodie have that business acumen that she wanted to start selling mm-hmm. out these shows? Or, you know, how did the It was a grow? real mixture of things where she knew that she could sell shows, but she, A, she didn't know how to put on her own gigs, which is why the Serial Killer Cafe shows happened. Mm-hmm. B, she didn't really understand touring aspects at all. And C, when it came to recorded music, she just didn't know what it entailed putting stuff out like you know what is a dsp and things like that like Mm -hmm. why do i need to sign digital distribution and they take a percentage and all these things can't i just because for a long while for five years she's been putting out stuff through youtube which is literally film edit yourself upload it and then adsense comes through and was she making income through YouTube at yes. that point? You don't mind yeah, yeah, asking. Yeah, she was. So, no, so no, no, there no, was absolutely. an income stream for her already, almost yeah. almost through her music because she was putting music up yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Because really her, her music, like, um, yeah, that was her vice and everything. That was her, uh, uh, you know, ability to show her fans and build an audience mm-hmm. through that. And so to then add an extra layer to it and say, have you tried properly producing your songs and putting them out through this other medium that you know, we'll get you some support. Ooh. And then she'd say, no. no, no, no. <laughs> not interested. Like, yeah. It's like, no, I'm not into it. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, yeah, let's see what happens, essentially. It was always just a, like, I think it's going to work. I believe in it. And I think from her aspect, it was, there will be an audience there listening. Mm-hmm. But I think our heads were in different places where I just went, this is going to be, like, I'm excited. This is going to be huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from her perspective, it was like, this is great. My fans finally get to hear what I'm putting out. 
recorded wise rather than just in her bedroom so yeah it's um i think from from her perspective the the business side she's definitely very good at business minded but it was just one field it was just the youtube aspect i don't think she'd mind me saying that interestingly when when you're saying that it's made me think about release schedules because you're coming from the label background yeah yeah yeah. and then she's coming from the absolute opposite yeah so when our first like meeting that we had where i said i want to try and manage you and stuff she gave me all of these songs a list of them from her youtube channel and she said i really want to put there's about 14 songs and she went i said i want to make an album and i asked why and she went well because i've got the audience that i want that i love and i want them to you know hear hear everything and so when typed them out and went down 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 enter down 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 enter it's like there you go you got three eps why would that that there is two years of your life this one piece is about six months and it's going to take you about a year to record this thing in the first place Mm. so i think yeah release schedule wise that was a new like why do i have to deliver something four weeks in advance i don't Uh understand i want to get it done and just give it to you and then it's out (laughs) and then uh yeah then and also with the label minded thing it was i had this odd i don't know why i decided that six weeks was the max amount of time to put something out but it was first track out and then six weeks later put the ep out feel like her audience just needed a little tidbit mm-hmm. i wanted to see where that went and i i yeah i don't know why i thought it's this this is the impact date but it just, in my head, just felt like that was the most natural thing rather than three months and constantly plugging, constantly doing all these things. And six tracks all in one go, purely because we wanted to see actually numerically how it charted because six tracks, selling it for four ninety nine is the minimum requirement yeah. to, chart. Put it, to chart. And that was an experiment for everyone, which is exciting. It was just... It was mad, but it was quite a successful experiment. Yes, it was all right. Yeah, 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 it did all right. It did really well. It's odd saying yes as well to me. So I suppose when Ali said about the, you know, taking her into like schedule and release world, that must have been different because I suppose as many YouTubers and Instagrammers are today, you just, oh, I did something last night and I just put it up. And they just just put content out as and when they feel. So did you ever... Did you ever feel like you might have to rein her in a bit and say, look, let's plan this content? Or were mm-hmm. you always just like, do you know what? You do YouTube, it's you. Yeah. You do it amazingly. You've got a great subscriber fan base mm-hmm. and let me work on the music side for you. Well, how did it, you sort of work those together? It was definitely more of the latter than the former. There was, um, there was a lot of her just knowing when to put things out, which is genuinely just when she feels ready to. I think, yeah, going back to what I said about a lot of YouTube uh, management companies would tell you, like, scheduling and putting things like that. She doesn't adhere to that because she doesn't feel like doing something. Mm. It's your it's your personality. It's who you are. And if you put out a video that people clearly see that you didn't really want to make, then, you know, it, it's obvious. Yeah. Um, but to marry the two together in terms of putting out a record as well as an EP, uh, uh, yeah, putting out a record as well as um, her YouTube side, it was just... Here's when Sick of Losing Soulmates comes out. Here's when Intertwined, the EP, comes out. And in between, we're probably going to put out another song. So here's your three landmarks. Have at it. And, uh, yeah, so day of announcing, saying that EP is out tomorrow. And, or no, sorry, my track, Sick of Losing Soulmates, is out tomorrow. The EP comes out this date. It was just, it was an exciting experiment because it made it feel like 
her audience weren't expecting anything. They were always expecting something, but they weren't expecting anything there and then. And even from the recording process, like, she's, she was so, like, new to everything. The worst thing would do is put her in a room, you know, with Fraser T. Smith or someone like that who's been through something a lot, who they can be interested. I'm not saying that they were specifically, but, like, producers were interested, but I just felt that she would be intimidated and probably go back to the bedroom aspect mm. rather than feel like work with a brand new producer who's not really this guy called Joseph Wonder who hadn't really worked on a lot of stuff himself but a lot of acoustic singer-songwriters and just see how that goes this is like it's it's a first EP it's like it's a first track there's so much pressure that people apply themselves to now that I think that I just thought if it goes wrong then that's only step one and we can you know do it again yeah. essentially yeah, yeah of course she's done it in a very authentic way I can yeah. say you never felt like from the moment she moved into records that she was changing who she was or she was adapting herself no. for the record industry she just stayed who she was mm -hmm. and happened to just put music out as well yeah. which I think is a really particularly in today's sort of YouTube influence society is it's a really difficult balance to strike it's really yeah, yeah, yeah. hard no, it is. for you to not look authentic or all of a sudden there's a random product endorsement that pops up on a video yeah, and these yeah, sort of yeah. things and yeah. you get that you managers artists yeah. you have to make money you have yeah. to live and all those things absolutely so, Obviously, she's been very successful, and you, you know, you're making money, and you're making, and she's making money. She can live, which is great. Yeah. But has there been brands and things approach you and try and get you involved, and you've had to say? We, we uh, no, no, no. We like. Uh, I think that when it felt right, there was mm. a, it was a moment of, uh, well, it's uh, and as an example, the first ever headline tour that she did for the UK, that it was five shows, five shows and played Islington Academy, 800 people. It all sold out tremendously quickly. But her vision was that she wanted to play with a full band with strings and everything. Said, okay, first tour, that's relatively expensive. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> we have to get, instead of split a van, we now have a bus instead of like, you know, we've got day rooms on top of that. So you're gonna make a loss out of this. Yeah. And then, it was. I, I think that because we'd worked with each other for a while, I'd started working on her YouTube side at this point as well. It was about eight months of her not wanting... Well, eight months of me saying, you do YouTube on your own, I won't help you out with anything. And then she said, I'm being approached by so many YouTube managers and I would love for you to, you know... Handle that side Handle that well. side. And that was a perfect moment of, thank God you said that, because, I, yeah, I want to do that too. Um, but uh, because we'd worked with each other for a while and I'd helped her with her brand deals thought well why is there not a way that we could do this with a tour it's very like kind of american mastercard american express sponsors mm, this tour yeah but let's find a way of making it quintessentially quite dody and it was so random but chubba chubs um were like we'd love to do this the lollipops the lollipops Amazing. the lollipops, the lollipops. Yeah. yeah uh and um essentially it feels so weird just seeing it come back uh, but uh, it was she all she had to do is do a post every show with uh, like with a hashtag ads and chubba chub sort of thing and then on her tour but then also they gave us I think 2,000 lollies but then wow. we were only playing to 1,400 people total or something no 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 more than that there was no it was definitely more than that but we were playing there was essentially there was a 600 gap 
and <laughs> went. Do you never want to see another Chubba Chub for as long as you <laughs> I live? I never touched no another Chubba Chub. No offense to the wonderful chub. sponsors who helped that tour happen. Yes, exactly. But no, I don't I ever want a Chubba Chub ever again. Never want a Chubba Chub ever again. I don't think I've held one. <laughs> I we're trying to get the sugar exactly. out of your system how many years later. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sugar free. They had to be sugar free. Oh, that's good. Because there's no way that you can tell that Dodie's audience wouldn't be under the age of 16. So, oh, of course, see. So because of that, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, it was... It, it, thinking about it just like this first tour like each room is about 350 and then the last one's 800 and you just put out boxes of chubba chubs everywhere and that was the sponsorship but there was also pushback like you know they wanted to have a sign on stage and said absolutely not it's mm. not the chubba chubs tour it's, it's not south by oh, southwest yes exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but this is dodie's show and you are sponsoring it we'll put your logo like somewhere I don't think we even put it on the posters because I said that that looks really naff yeah. and uh, which, thanks again for sponsoring at Chub Chubs but at the same time yeah but a good, a good, yeah. a good, a good marketing manager would understand that yes. because yeah. you want that symbiotic relationship whoa yeah. buzzword I but know. you want whoa. that relationship that yeah. people just go do you know what this is genuine yeah. and everything that runs through what Dodie does is genuine yes so that's exactly from. that's, that's the main thing the authenticity totally. is so important and there was no way that we wanted to feel like a machine or that oh, there's you know stuff are being catered for because and she was open and honest she said look I, I'm not going to make any money from this tour so I really hope you don't mind that I have a sponsor because of that conversation between mm. her and her audience, yep. of it just it opened it up so much more. And it's great that she had an audience that just said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. We understand. Thank uh-huh. you for going on tour. So you talked a little bit earlier about how when she first went on tour, she wanted to get like a string section yes. and all these things. Oh, and yes. you had to sort of explain to her, you know, you're going to have to go from a splitter van to a bus. These costs yeah. are going to rack up. As a manager, one of the things we always tend to ask people is, how do you manage particularly a new artist's expectations yeah. what they have in their head versus what you can deliver it's okay. quite an interesting yes. and quite a difficult part of the relationship I imagine absolutely no 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 I think that at that time it was a lot of kind of let's let's give it a go and there's a lesson for us all here if it works out fantastic if it doesn't then you know we've been bitten but we'll we'll, mm. we'll learn for the next time um that tour in particular it was that if she wanted that stage show so then you just have to work out other costs and how to you know help things out we didn't have a merch manager i was merch manager did everything i know um manager josh famous merch man manager yeah. josh. Oh, that name will never leave me <laughs> but um to answer your question about expectation uh it it's it's a very um long chat but at the same time I think you have to compromise on both sides is that you try as a manager to think that you're definitely right because you're trying to pave this way but at the same time it's their career and it's their vision and you just Mm. need to match those things together so you know with the tour of it being like I want strings on stage I want to do this it's like okay cool I'll cut costs on this one next merchandise what do you want to make I want to make you know these these things they're you know crop tops well, they don't really make crop tops that are yellow, so we're going to have to yeah. find a factory that cuts them for this thing. And it's just a lot of... It's a, it's harder work, but that's the thing that I personally put the passion in. I always for. imagine a crop top would be less money because it's less material. Yeah, yeah. you would think. So they're like, right, you let's do crop that. tops, cut the bottom off, I half know. the cost. You got half the cost, <laughs> yeah. and you can try and make two if you yeah, want. Yeah, exactly. But it was... Just nipple tassels, probably not right for Dodie, <laughs> but no. So they can cut the material. I, honestly, the amount of times that merch people have been like, have you tried this? I'm like, I've definitely not tried <laughs> Uh, Wellington boots, but no. you know, yellow Wellington boots. 
So one of the things we were talking about with Jodie and her expectations and things, and one of the things that I really I love about her again is last year, she's very open with her mental health. Yes. She talks very openly to her fans about where she is in her head at the time and how she's feeling and things. And one of the things that we talk about on every episode of the podcast and we talk to managers about is mental health. Yeah. Two aspects. One, you managing the mental health of your artist. Yes. And understanding when she could be struggling or she needs some time or she needs some extra help. Yeah. Also, the second tier is your mental health My as own. a manager because yep. it's very stressful it's a 24 7 job let's be yeah, honest yeah. if you didn't need to sleep you would just work 24 yeah, 7 yeah absolutely and so how do you balance those two those in the two sense things. that you have to look after Dodie but also you have to look after yourself so I always I think my nature is always putting other people first rather than myself and then it's the nature of a manager <laughs> the nature of the manager yeah nature of the manager but um, I learn it took a while longer to think about myself rather than beforehand it was just because with A&R especially you're married to the idea of working seven days a week you get an email from your boss Sunday evening you think oh shit I've got a I better listen to that I better listen <laughs> yeah, yeah. to that quick so that Monday morning we can chat about it um, equally the same with uh, with an artist saying can, can we do this is that alright to do that and you think yes you know responding like even uh, today she's out at the Great Escape herself just perusing round and uh, I sent her a list of artists and she said I've lost the list standard um, but can I find <laughs> yeah can I can I find the list and I was off and I went to see another artist and I came out and said look I've tried to find it I can't find it but here's a bunch of artists you should go and see mm. huge extensive list I don't expect her to see any of them but the fact that I've just gone I've supplied the thing that you've asked yes of nailed course. it yeah so that there's my sort of validation yeah. in some way um so yeah uh, fixating on Dodie's mental health is always something that i i plan and prepare for so much even when like we talked about scheduling and stuff there are times where she just says i'm not i just can't do anything i can't post anything because living online means that you see everything online yeah. even one negative comment can bring somebody down because it's their livelihood and it's their personality and it's them and you can speak and talk to them as you know delicately as possible but the answer is just let them get through this whole thing uh talking about my own i'm generally okay i'm absolutely fine i had once where we went to america um not spoken much about it but we went to america and i met with a lot of people at caa and a lot of people that i've never met at caa and just halfway through the meeting just having a tiny little panic attack you know it's fine these things are okay this is a new sensation i think i'm gonna die that, that this is awful what's happening is, am I hungover I'm not hungover okay am I having a heart attack I'm not having a heart attack let's rationalise all of this is it the air conditioning <laughs> maybe not it might be in LA. it might be it might be I don't know but uh, yeah so then after that I thought okay so what have I done the past few days and it's because I landed 6pm on a Saturday stayed up until 4am on the Sunday then went to Dodie's show because I got I yeah got home at four woke up at eight her show in LA like did that whole thing then went to bed again at seven woke up at 11 and then went to this meeting I thought I'm jet lagged tired I've not slept I'm not eaten properly I've not done all these things so that was like a, a, a shock to the system and it has made me kind of think well some days I need to just yeah, chill out and just definitely. hang back but it's having that openness with your artist as well and just saying look today I just feel a bit tired I don't really want to do anything is that okay and she of all people is like 
oh mate I understand don't yeah, you worry about that yeah. so yeah uh, the balance there is mostly that I, I think that we have a good relationship enough to just know when it's best to speak out but I can just see it in her eyes she suffers from something called derealization which is a lot mm. of like feeling very not apparent and not really there and it's chronic so it's happening all the time it's like if you're quite drunk and you're in a fishbowl and you just don't really like know what's happening outside of it, you're not really listening and you see the eyes glaze over and just think do you want to have a cup of tea and sit in a dark yeah, room for a, a few hours yeah it's like yeah i do okay well let's go this way no one bother her <laughs> yeah are there any other tools that you use as a manager because you've just summed up a probably quite a common experience for a manager you're mm-hmm. thrust into a very high pressure situation you may be meeting agents maybe meeting a new label whatever yep. and you've been traveling across the globe yeah, and you're yeah. thinking about all those things you're looking after your artist's welfare like what other little tools have you got that that kind of rationalization mm-hmm. is a brilliant one yes it's great absolutely but is there any other things like do you turn off your emails at a certain time in the day mm-hmm. or how do you manage the completely chaotic existence that oh, is a music manager management? i think that there's a point where you just need to plan your own life and dedicate that time to just like you know for example us sitting here at no point do I look at my phone is face down because we're having a conversation yes we're talking about management it's for a podcast but like this is a moment to just not fixate on other things um I love going to the cinema I love going to other shows I love going to shows for stuff that is already signed just because I love music and I love seeing that's that that artist doing what they do and I don't want to you know talk constantly about tunes and artists I want to talk about other things as well so I think it's about like with being a manager you love to plan so why don't you plan some time out where you just sit with whomever and you have dinner or whatever and just shut off I think shutting off is a hard thing for everybody but when you know full well that I'm in a cinema there's it's impossible for me to do anything just do that try and push it out as much as possible I like that. I like that. I've got an agent friend who goes to the football. And oh, yeah. if we go to the football together, if I even dare talk about music, he gets really cross yeah. at me. And I love that. He's like, stop, stop talking. Stop. Don't no, don't. Yeah. Don't. No. Look at the game. Yeah, it's great. I know. And I love that separation. You have yeah. that time. You forget. You relax. The other thing is when you can focus on other stuff, like a pub quiz. I think, right, our minds are in this. Right. Who's that person? Where have I seen them before? You think, oh, I think they, uh, didn't they go out with a... This, no, 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 they didn't go out with an artist. They definitely didn't do oh that. They went out Everyone's got yeah. that one person you just can bring it back to work, no yeah, matter exactly. what the situation. I, no, you don't. Like, don't do I've that. I've got my peanuts on the floor. Do you remember that band Peanuts? Yeah. Go <laughs> away! Stop, like, it. stop it! I know. Leave me alone. It's really, really tough. Yeah. Um, one of the managers I interviewed last week actually said that she felt it was really important to have friends outside of music. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I know that can be actually quite hard if you've done an internship at 21 and you've never yep. really left, but she said it was so important for her to have those her mm. best friends and her support unit outside of the industry because it gives her brain space because she's not talking about work, yes. which is a default for her, but also yeah. just brings her back down to earth in a way that she says she yeah. just feels mentally she's in a more settled place yeah. when she does that. I mean, at the same time, those people are also mental and it's hilarious <laughs> yeah, 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 to have yeah. their conversations <laughs> if they work in you know real estate and say oh yeah I was out until 6am last night I'm like me too what were you doing she's like well I just out with some clients and I'm like me too what happened it's like oh we talked about just the you know Brexit and the market currently I'm like 
didn't do that. <laughs> didn't do that. What did you talk about? Did you talk about, about the split van? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You talked about the split van and also uh, the uh, costs of uh, how much has gone up. And you'd think, no, not doing that. But yeah, it, I, I agree with that. Absolutely agree. I think having friends outside of music is brilliant. Or you could be friends with YouTubers where all you do is just talk about YouTube pages. Ah, I do both of those things. The algorithm uh, change yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. I, I mean, I love just saying that for anything. Why is my video not this? Well, the algor- algorithm, man. Like, you know. What you going to do? What you going to do? Let's talk about greatest moments yes. with Dodie. Oh. Is there one that you can pull out that you go... Oh, we did That's that. That's the one. I think, I mean, I uh, I think the top five was so good for her more than anything because she, you know, her records, the three EPs that she has out, the first one was a top 30, which, and then the second one was top 10, it was at six. And then in her mind, like, a top 10 is still wicked because the sales, not necessarily the position. But I think it mattered in certain ways because it's just, it showcases that you're progressing and, to, to the general public I think mm-hmm. and um, just the amount of work that we put together and in involving her audience and also not just her audience that she's had for a long amount of years but it's new people as well and getting those people involved when I went to go and see actually I'll come to the second moment but um, so that one in particular was when uh, I got a phone call from uh, from a friend of mine who knew the chart positions and uh, he said you know just, just let you know it's a top five record and I fell out of my chair and I went, yes, it's not even number one. It's not even a number one record, it's top five. And I went mental because I just thought, this is great, this is so exciting. Then to tap into that was, um, I think, well, I love seeing her live because I love seeing her grow and I love seeing the show grow. And it's it's just, it's an, a huge experience. Like with the Barrowland show when we were there, it was just, you see the audience like scream back and then Roundhouse is exactly the same. And yeah. it's, it's like, for, for me, I loved seeing in Manchester, there were the, uh, Dodie's audience are very similar in the terms of demographic and also um, well demographic is just the word actually um, but there's there's a visual aspect to them you can see a Dodie fan from quite far away and you think you're going to the show tonight exciting but then you saw a bunch of like proper like football lads that were there and I thought this is my world coming in I don't understand why and I love it and they're singing along to every single song and I thought regardless of like what they do and how they discovered her the fact that they're there just giving it bifters I'm like in chanting rather than singing yeah exactly honestly like pints and hands up just thinking for what is very delicate heartfelt music I know (laughs) I'm watching them cry and it's like oh I haven't cried this time since last time you know City won the league and I'm like (laughs) I know that feeling but at the same time it's a very different feeling here my favourite moment of that Glasgow Battleland show a couple of weeks ago was I think probably just after the encore there was a wonderful rendition of here we here we here we fucking go go. in the most Glaswegian accent and she was cheering it on and it was like yes it's a party and then she just stopped and went yeah, this song's really sad. <laughs> yeah, it was this song's about family trauma. <laughs> and you think, okay, Friday Here night. we go. <laughs> oh, bless her. Yeah, that's lovely though. Like that moment, and it's those things where you take a wee step back. Yeah. Like you say, you're getting your friend telling you the chart position. This, yeah. this is a thing. And, you it's know, it might thing. be people might, you know, in a YouTube generation might not care about mm-hmm. that chart, but 
it does mean something to it, a different audience. Exactly. You know? It certainly means something as well from an industry aspect as well. I know that everyone, especially managers, constantly ask for validation. Yes. And the validation mm. is, what does everybody else think within my field? And your if they're like, well the done. Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your peers, they if they think you're doing a great job, and you think, cool, thank you, good. Now we do the next thing. And let's hopefully better ourselves. So... This podcast with the MMF as well, who are an amazing resource for music managers. And one of the things that we always tend to ask managers when we have them on the podcast is, what do you think as a music manager, the music community could be doing better to help support you? Because Mm -hmm. there's a funny thing with managers. You have your sort of bunch of manager friends, but then you have other managers that you don't necessarily meet or speak to. And so how do you feel from somebody who's managing successful artists? And obviously as an A&R, you're in contact with managers in another world together how would you feel what do you think the management community needs as a whole to be better and better support you as a manager that's interesting because i feel like that that is happening i think like you know stuff like this for example bringing people together and talking about their mental health and talking about you know how they uh how they can work on an artist and also work on themselves equally i think that's the main thing is that it's 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 the personal aspect is that you shouldn't judge somebody because the artist that they work with is doing thus it's just you know have a chat have a sit down find out exactly like who they are as a person and and what they believe in as well and to bring that into more of a group aspect it is hard to kind of bring a social element to it I was chatting to a charity in Scotland called See Me Scotland, which is a really big mental health charity in Scotland. And um, they basically said, would you tweet a photo of yourself that would describe when your mental health is bad? Mm-hmm. And this was a couple of years ago. I just took a photo of me with my head on my keyboard. Just like right. head head planted in the keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wrote something like, I work in music, I work in radio, I've done some amazing experiences. But you know what? 99% of my day is smacking my head off my computer screen, <laughs> just going, please, how do we do this? How do we break that? Yeah. And I have popping off that tweet went that tweet went near yeah, viral because yeah, yeah. it was just and it was mostly funny enough, people working in the industry in music mm-hmm. saying, You're right. Yeah, I think I actually that is that is wicked because like as is with my um, reach to Dodie's audience, things like that, is that your Twitter or your Instagram and things like that that are so public is that's your form of speaking out. I have a lot of friends that talk about how bad they're feeling or how they feel about the music industry in general, and it shouldn't have a negative response. The answer should be yes, no, you're you're right, and we should better ourselves and come together in certain ways. So maybe that is the sort of like the small step to lead into like everyone building this conversation. I know that um, a lot of people have tried to kind of like have people come together and do social events where you all just sit down and you talk about like you, know, you as a manager and what you do and how you can all help each other out. I think that managers are still very competitive though. Oh yeah. And they like yeah. to yeah exactly and they like to you know one upmanship one upmanship. <laughs> Which you shouldn't. You should be like, I support you wholeheartedly. Well done on all your achievements. But also, no, I'll do better than that. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. There has to be a competitive edge in yeah. some sense. But in when it's not sense. toxic. Exactly. Toxic. Yes, exactly. Um, talking about management as a career. Yes. Obviously, you are doing A&R. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people listening to this podcast might be a bit younger and might be going, I want to be a manager. Mm-hmm. Full stop. How realistic do you think that is? And if you think it's realistic... How sustainable is management solely as a career? I think that it, 
a lot of people just see talent and then they think I want to manage it and then they'll take it on board and you think cool well what do I do now and it's just the connections aspect is that how do you start that person's career is it that you worked in a bar and that bar puts on live shows and then you chat to the promoter and then you met, meet the band's agent or manager or stuff like that it's it genuinely like I think that if you have your core starting point that's really the time when you know full well that you can start managing an artist I've been working in music for four years and didn't start managing anyone until I knew at that point I thought well I have th these connections from working in A&R from interning in radio from interning at press and all these different things where I think that I can I can put together a good enough portfolio of people to reach out to here's what to, I can do for you yes almost, exactly it's the, here's situation. what I can actually do now rather than well, let's do, you know, saying how at the very beginning when I said it's all an experiment, it's all an experiment, but also I'm not saying that I didn't do anything without some favours along the way. You know, the reason why we started working with Ditto in terms of distribution was because a friend of mine works at Vivo. I called him up and said, who provides the quickest turnaround for video content in, in uploading? I said, Ditto are the absolute best. I knew nothing else about them in terms of their distribution other than the fact that they'd worked with Stormzy and Ed Sheeran and Dave. And mm. I would great that's pretty good it's pretty good that's pretty good <laughs> not anymore in my eyes well not in the yeah exactly yeah. at the time at the time they at did the just time not to they uh, did. yes no, no not to confuse anybody that's yeah. another podcast yes exactly <laughs> digital distribution podcast yes yeah. that we are not going to do no no no, no, no. <laughs> it depends um, how much they pay us now yeah. Yeah. but at the time <laughs> uh, that was that was the talk up where uh, you know I was given we've worked with these artists and as is with, like even with labels to say we work with these artists but then you find out that those artists are finally down the line I didn't necessarily worry too much about it it was just knowing full well that we have a team that will help bring and understand where she is at the moment and how she can get to the next stage so yeah I think it's it's a lot of waiting and a lot of building yourself to I like as well there how you talked about connecting the dots before mm -hmm. you even became a manager you sort of say like you know do you work in a bar can that put nights mm -hmm. on or what experience do I have that I can bring to this and connect the dots because yeah. I suppose if you know it's quite difficult to just walk into a bar and be like I like this band I'm going to manage them but not have any dots you've got yes, to stop exactly. putting them in place so I really like that way of thinking that yeah. you thought right before I do this what dots can I connect to make this happen? Yeah, I think exactly. that's a really like, clever way of thinking. Who are they? It. What do I want to do? And that, that, like, I knew that when I wanted to start managing something, I wanted to manage an artist that came from YouTube, but I wasn't setting out on Dodie, definitely. I was thinking that I had to start at square one, mm. which it still was square one. It was just a slightly larger square. And that brings us <laughs> one problem. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What's the um, best piece of advice you've ever been given in relation to music management? Has anyone ever said wow. something to you or a phrase that sticks? Mostly, the, the ones that usually people give you is that, uh, as like, so it, the conversation is thus, you meet manager who's been working with so-and-so for a very long period of time, they find out that I manage Dodie and say, have you been doing management beforehand? No, it's like, great, fuck them. Don't do anything else other than just focus on that one act until you've got it to a place that you feel you are ready to, as you said, connect more dots, but it's more like until you're ready to expand and build. Because a lot of people that I find, when they start managing something, they're like, cool, well, that's kind of going, and then I'll do another thing. I, I love the idea of just sticking with Dodie and thinking, this is the act that I really want to keep hold of and not go out and go out my way and find a rapper, a DJ, and all these, like, yes, I'd love to do that, but... Yeah, I think it's just focus on the one thing and you'll 
get it there. And you forget, I think, that the one single artist manager who never was Ed Sheeran's manager. Yes. Stuart never took on anyone Stuart else until he got Ed to where he wanted to be. And he's and done pretty well for himself. Well, yeah, so exactly. He's doing all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And now fully independent yeah, as well. So you're exactly. like, that's pretty wicked. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Love that. That's a beautiful place to stop. And uh, thank you so much for sitting down with us. And I think the biggest thing that I'm kind of take away from that is those tiny changes, be that someone's mental health or be that how you can help an already established personality. Mm-hmm. You made those tiny changes and go, oh, look at this whole other industry you've not touched. Yeah, tiny changes you. seems to be a nice, nice way to sum that up. So thank you, Josh. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Ali, do you know what I really like about Josh and what I think I'm finding with loads of managers at the moment is I love how hands-on he was with Dodie. And I don't just mean her mental health, which is obviously something that we champion so much and is super important today. But with her fans as well, I love the fact that he's, you know, replying to them, tweeting to them, making sure that they know what's going on. It's just a really lovely way to be. And it's also something that we saw when we interviewed Jamie Oborn as well. He's very hands-on with the 1975 fans when they have a question he'll always reply if he can and I just love that I call it the rise of the lovely manager that's what I call it (laughs) yeah lovely managers indeed and it just shows that old school image of an artist manager being raging angry and screaming the bloody doors down doesn't really have to exist anymore I loved in this episode especially that Josh gave us that perspective of yes he started with quite a lot of fans of his artist but they weren't necessarily fans of the music. And although that might seem like an easy ride to some, it's far from it. And it was amazing to hear how Josh navigated the really tricky waters of the live industry, of the charts, of streaming, of even having to explain to his artists what a release strategy is. I love that and it shows how much hard work and dedication he's put in as well as his artist Dodie. Please don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast service or app you use. Leave us a review and share, share, share. Tell your friends, tell a friend, tell your parents, tell your mum, tell your sisters, tell whatever. Let them all know. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you to Josh. Thank you as always to our brilliant sponsors AWOL and our supporters, the Music Managers Forum. Without either of those, this pod would not exist and they have been indispensable in the making of this podcast. And don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and now we're on Instagram. Our handle is at ManageThatPod. Give us a follow and we'll see you soon. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and we will see you on the next episode. Bye. How Did You Manage That is brought to you by the MMF and sponsored by AWOL. The podcast is produced and hosted by Sophie Pallock and Ali McRae. Original music by Callum Wiseman.